This morning, we began one of the most life and death, serious, little sermon mini-series that I will probably ever preach in this pulpit. The question was, heaven or hell? That's the question. By the way, for those of you who might be here tonight, who are not able to be here this morning, if you'd like to hear the first part of this lesson, uh, it is available, it has been recorded, as all of our lessons are. The second thing I will say as we get into the lesson tonight, for those of you that take notes, even occasionally, there's gonna be a lot of passages tonight that I'm just going to reference, so you may wanna be ready to take a few notes and to go home and check those out because I don't have time to turn to all of them. So, unless you wanna be here till 10 o'clock, so there you go. Heaven or hell? That's the question. This morning we talked about the fact that biblically speaking, surely hell is a very real place. Hell is as real as heaven. I don't know, and I had this discussion with one of you on the way out this morning, I don't know how you can read the Bible, believe in the reality of a place called heaven, believe in the eternal existence of a place called heaven, and totally deny the existence of an eternal place called hell. And yet that is what some seek to do. The Lord Jesus Christ himself, as we covered this morning, taught and talked more about hell than he did about heaven. Fact is that hell is a real place of everlasting fire. It is a real place of real torture, of real torment, and of anguish. According to the Bible, in many different references, like Matthew 7, 21 through 23, it is a place, a real place, where God and Jesus Christ are really going to send real people, the real souls of real sinners who have not chosen to let the beautiful blood sacrifice of Christ cleanse their sins so they don't have to go there. You see, God and Christ are not going to sentence anybody to that place People choose their own sentence. That's what this life is all about. It gives us the opportunity to choose where we want to spend our eternity. All God's going to do in the end is honor the wishes of those who by their life and by their choices and by their acceptance of his grace have decided that they want to spend eternity in heaven. And those who have chosen by their disregard of God's word that they don't want to be with God forever. He's just going to honor the choices that we make in this life. This morning we discussed Gehenna, or the Valley of the Son of Hinnom that we see in the scriptures. The valley outside of Jerusalem, where some terrible, terrible atrocities occurred, and where Mark says in Mark 9, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, and we discussed that at length, Mark 9, 43 through 48. Here's the bottom line. Jesus repeatedly warned us in Mark 9, as well as other places, that there is nothing on this planet. Remember when he said, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off? Remember we read that this morning. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, get rid of it. Whatever it is that is taking you in the wrong direction toward hell, he said, it ain't worth it. Get rid of it. He told us in that passage and many others how nothing on earth, nothing, no earthly gratification was worth going 
to that eternal destination called hell. There is nothing on this planet worth going there for. Tonight I want to come at it from a slightly different angle. Speaking of destinations, we're going to kind of approach this maybe from an angle you've not heard before. Speaking of destinations, I want to take a look at what this eternal travel brochure, you know when you want to go somewhere, you get a travel brochure, you check out on the internet what the place is like, right? This is our eternal travel brochure, and so I want to look at it tonight and see what it has to say about that final and most populated of destinations in the universe as we talk about the pits. Life on the Corner of Brimstone and Broadway, Part 2. What do we know about Brimstone? Why would I call it Life on the Corner of Brimstone and Broadway? Why would I illustrate it like it's a place where these two streets intersect? Well, I'm going to tell you why. First off, I'm going to note from some verses from the New American Standard, because the New American Standard Version uses that word Brimstone maybe a little more than some others. But the reason that I call it brimstone. Psalm 11 in verse 6 says, Upon the wicked he will rain snares, fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. Psalm 11:6. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 33, talks about Tophet, or again, that valley that the New Testament would refer to in the Greek as Gehenna. It talks about Tophet. And it says in Isaiah 30, 33, for Topheth has long been ready. Indeed, it has been prepared for the king. He has made it deep and large, a pyre of fire with plenty of wood, the breath of the Lord like a torrent of brimstone sets it afire. Revelation chapter 14, verses 10 and 11 speak about the person who will not worship the Lord with their lives. And it says that person will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone, and the smoke of their torment goes up day and night forever and ever. Finally, Revelation 20 and verse 10, which we read this morning, says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast the false prophet are also. And that gives you an idea of your neighbors. If, if you're ever thinking to move into this, this eternal destination, this, this retirement community, as it were, the most populated destination in all the universe at the end of time, talks about who the neighbors will be. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Revelation 21.8 also adds to this and talks about fire and brimstone, the second death. That's why I call it that. Why would I call it Broadway? Well, you know the answer to that too. Scripture says, in fact, in Matthew 7 and verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad. Broadway. It's the broad way. The way is broad that leads to destruction, and many there are who enter by it. Many there are who choose that road. If I may use an illustration talking about Matthew 7, 13, and 14. Matthew 7, 13, and 14 explains that there's going to be a few who are going to choose that retirement community located on one gold street. 
P.O. Box 777 in heaven, and that's just an illustration. But it also tells us how the many of the majority will relocate to that awful neighborhood on the corner of Brimstone and Broadway. P.O. Box 666, hell. You know what brimstone is? You know what the word actually means? We've seen it. I've read several passages where we see the word. Brimstone is a compound word, brim and stone. Two words put together. The word brim means burn. Stone means, this one isn't hard to figure out, <laughs> stone or rock. So brimstone means burning rock or burning stone like sulfur. If you do an in-depth study of the word brimstone, you're going to find the following. You're going to find that it is an incredibly slow-burning, almost inflammable substance with a suffocating stench, a terrible, terrible odor like sulfur. It's almost like slow-burning lava. You know lava when you see, like a while ago, the Hawaiian Islands are having some lava, and it's just, it's, it's, it's slow-burning and molten and that sort of thing, sort of like that or like pitch. How many of you, you know, if you've ever been burned by a grease fire, right? The grease just sits there and it keeps on burning, and, and this idea of, of brimstone or slow-burning rock or lava or pitch is sort of kind of like that, only worse. It's, it's very prolonged and painful. It's, it's a continual burning where, as the gospel according to Mark says, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Slow burning, painful. You know, when people are considering relocating, they take several things into account. If you've ever moved, I know when we lived in Maine, there was a lot of the, I guess they used to call them snowbirds. I, I guess uh, uh, there were a lot of folks that lived in Maine during the winter, and as they got older, the cold really affected them, which you can understand, you know, 20, 30, 35 below at night will get you when you, you get along in years. Some of you at 25 or 30 above zero is bad enough, right? So, you know, some of these folks up home, they would move to Florida in the winter. I know that my folks went down to Florida and spent several months during the worst of the, the winter. And whether you're a, a person who lives in a cold climate and you're considering relocating to Florida or New Mexico or whether you're a preacher from Maine who's decided to move to, you know, Oklahoma, any of those things, there's some important things you think about in relocating, like the weather. What's the weather like, right? Cost of living. When we got ready to move to Oklahoma, the cost of living was like 40% less than some other places. Not that that was going to change anything, because God wanted us in Oklahoma, apparently, but still, it was nice to know ahead of time. So, in considering relocation and those sorts of things, what, is the, what does the eternal travel brochure, known as the Bible, have to say about the weather on the corner of Brimstone and Broadway? And I use the term weather simply as a physical illustration. What did it have to say about the weather on the corner of Brimstone and Broadway? It says this, the place where the Son of God is never going to shine. It is a place of darkness. That's the weather. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, according to Matthew 8, 11 and 12, as well as Matthew 22, 13. It is a place where the sun, S-O-N, as opposed to S-U-N, but for the sake of illustration, the Son of God, S-O-N, is never going to come to give comfort or peace. 
You know, when we have bad weather and it stays cold for a long time, it stays dark and gray. Isn't it great when the sun comes out and it gets to about 70, 75, nice? Doesn't that feel pretty good, right? Well, on the corner of Brimstone and Broadway, there's never going to come a good day. The Son of God is never going to be there. To give any comfort or consolation, there's going to be no hope, no rest, no peace. Because the glory of God is never going to shine there. Everybody there will have no hope whatsoever for a brighter tomorrow, a better future, or to get out of the storm. Talk about hot. I remember when we first came to Oklahoma, we moved to Oklahoma in 2009, and it was within the next two or three summers, most of you probably remember it, we had an expanse there where the temperature was triple digit for like a month long, right? It was horrible. To this old main blood that is so thick and used to 30 below in the winter, I'm telling you, 110, 12, 15, it was awful. But I'm here to tell you right now that based on what the Bible says, that the heat in that place is going to be so much worse than any heat in the history of this planet. The heat there will not compare with one second, for one second, with the hottest day here. The heat there is going to make Death Valley's heat records seem like the North Pole in the middle of winter, only worse. And stink, sulfur stinks. We talked about that this morning. You know, you take some of these really humid, oppressive places in our country, humid, deep south, Gulf Coast. Can you imagine some of the summers there where it's, you know, 100 degrees, you're an hour inland, there's no air, and it's just that humid. Can you imagine driving a garbage truck those days? Stench would be overpowering, and yet it will be nothing compared to the burning brimstone and sulfur in this place. And crowded, you want to talk about crowded? Millions of people in a sea of agony. For broad is the way, and many there are who find it, Matthew 7, 13. When you take all the people who've ever lived, and you take the vast majority of them, now I know this is a big place, but when you take the vast majority and you put them all together in the stench and the suffering like sardines. Remember talking about history and some of the slave ships that would come across in the days when slave ships came across from Africa, and, and these human beings would be packed in and a terrible, terrible, awful circumstances and quarters. And, and if somebody died, they just throw them overboard. But escaping hell won't be that easy because there will be no escape. Not only are we talking about individuals, but all of your neighbors will be in that same boat. Intense agony unimaginable suffering, terrible torment, unbearable heat, the stench and the smoke and the sin of countless souls who would simply not in this life take the Savior's hand. Jesus offers us a way out of that. Contrast everything we've just talked about with the word pictures of heaven that we have in the Bible. Contrast all of those pictures I've tried to draw for you in your mind with these word pictures that Jesus offers us from the book of Revelation. Look with me in your Bibles tonight in Revelation 22. Revelation 22, look at, look at this beautiful word picture that God gave to Christ 
to give to John, to give to his people who were struggling and suffering to maintain their faithfulness. These people in the book of Revelation in the first century were being persecuted something awful. And Jesus wanted them to know that no matter what they went through on earth, it was going to be worth it because they didn't have to go to hell, but that he had a place for them. Jesus had promised his own disciples in John 14. He says, I, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and I'll take you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. Jesus said, I'm going I'm to go and there's going to be this magnificent place. And, and look in Revelation 22, 1 through 5, at how beautiful it is. And he showed me a pure river, the water of life, clear as crystal. Isn't it interesting? When we talk about hell, we talk about fire. When we talk about heaven, we talk about water and beautiful, refreshing streams. This, this pure, clear river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. Heaven is a place of healing. Hell is a place of torment. Heaven is a place of, of healing that God has provided. <coughs> there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God, verse 3. And of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they'll see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There'll be no night there. Remember when he talked about hell, where we talked about weeping and gnashing of teeth and darkness and all of those things? Look at the contrast. Look how beautiful heaven is. He says, not going to be night here. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Look at chapter 21. Back up a chapter and look at verse 4. Oh, what a beautiful place heaven is. We sing how beautiful heaven must be. And indeed it must. Revelation 21, 4. It says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there'll be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There'll be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. I tell you what, heaven and hell are complete and absolute opposites. Complete and absolute. But going back to our discussion of hell, I want you to think with me for a few minutes who those new neighbors will be. I want you to think about who those neighbors will be in hell. I want you to think about who will be there. If people choose not to submit to God and, and not to love God and trust God and take God's hand and allow God to take them to heaven, I want you to stop and think about who the neighbor is going to be, how the neighborhood is going to be constructed. Who will be there? Who will you be so closely packed in agony with? I want you to think for a few minutes the predators, the pedophiles, the prostitutes. I want you to think of the most ruthless, most bloodthirsty, most barbaric human beings in the history of humanity. I want you to think about them. I want you to think about men perhaps like, because these are going to be the new neighbors, it's going to be so tightly cramped with, as it were, I want you to think about men maybe like King Herod. you remember what King Herod did? Remember how he so mercilessly butchered all of those babies in Matthew 2? Do you remember that, trying to kill Christ? It's that kind of person that's going to be the neighbor in hell. Maybe somebody like Nero, who in the first century had countless numbers of our brothers and sisters put to death, burned them in his gardens for light, gave them to the lions. Nero, who did all these terrible things, that's the kind of people that are going to be the neighbors 
in the new neighborhood. People perhaps like Adolf Hitler who had millions of Jews exterminated. Maybe all these maniacal tyrants who through years had practiced genocide on their own people. It is those sorts of people who are going to be the neighbors. Should anybody choose to live on the corner of Brimstone and Broadway? Torturers, terrorists, assassins, every person who has no moral compass or conscience, those who hated Christ, those who hated Christians, those who made a career out of killing, all of those who practice abominations of every conceivable kind and category, those will be the new neighbors and the family, and the co-sufferers for all eternity. Welcome to the neighborhood of life on the corner of Brimstone and Broadway. You know, most of us probably who watch the evening news would not consider walking through North Tulsa after dark. Most of us probably wouldn't. Even more so, many of us would certainly never consider maybe walking through the worst parts of a huge city like New York City in places where even some of the police officers fear to walk because of the clear and present danger that is there. But surely all of the bedlam and all of the brutality and everything that is focused in those types of neighborhoods is absolutely nothing compared to life on the corner of Brimstone and Broadway. If we consult the eternal travel brochure known as the Bible, it describes for us in great detail, open your Bibles to Romans 1. It describes in great detail the new neighbors that we will have should we refuse Christ's offer to go to heaven and live with him. It describes not only the new neighbors, but the reason why they will be there. Romans chapter 1, I want to show you some of the neighbors and some of the reason God gives why they will be there on the corner of Brimstone and Broadway. Romans 1 beginning at verse 18 says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. People who suppress the truth of God's word. People who will not accept the truth of God's word as the truth of God's word. They deny what the Bible says. They reject what the Bible says. It says God's wrath is going to be revealed on them. It's going to be brought to bear on them who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because, verse 19, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools. Did you see what that verse said? Did you, did you see what, I've got it highlighted mine. Did you see what verse 21 said? We often think, well, that's just people that don't know God. But that's not where the story ends in that verse. He says, those who did not know God, category one, they did not glorify him as God. They were not thankful. Are you thankful tonight? I am so thankful I don't have to go to hell for the sins I've committed because compared to God, this holy and righteous and pure and perfect and awesome and wonderful God, I can't be in his presence with my sin on me. I have only one place I can be. 
But because of his love and his mercy, he sent his son to die to pay the price for me so I don't have to be there. And I am so thankful to be able to celebrate that tonight, aren't you? Notice in Romans 1, we must be thankful people. How can we not be when we understand what is at stake? Move down with me to verses 28 and following. He'll tell you why they're in, on the corner of Brimstone and Broadway. He said, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Here's what the neighbors are like, because this is what they chose to be like when they kicked God out of their mind. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They're whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death not only do the same but approve of those who practice them. He said this is why they're going. They want to live counter to God. They want to live away from God. They want to live in such a way that it alienates them from God. Okay. God will let them have what they want. We could look at other passages. Let me take you to just one, and that is in Galatians 5. He'll tell you why here, too. Look in Galatians chapter 5. Beginning at verse 19 and just down to verse 20. Galatians 5, 19 and 20. He says this. Remember, it's heaven or hell. There's only two options. There's, there's not a third option. It's one or the, it's the other. And when the Bible says these people that do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God, then obviously they're going to the other place. Galatians 5, 19 and 20, he says, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If we were to read the next few verses, though, we would see that some people chose to change their lives. They said to God, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to go there. He talks about what the fruit of the Spirit is and how those who belong to Christ have crucified that old way of life. Folks, there's hope. As long as we're here and we draw breath, there's a way out of that eternal destination. Because God made it. And so if we'll just turn our lives to him and we'll take that escape route and we'll start being led by the Spirit, and, and by that I mean following what God's Word says, and we'll let these things be in our lives instead of those other things, we'll let verses 22 through 24 be our life. But you know, this is scary. This is bottom line. You know, it's easy for us sometimes to say, well, you know, somebody that's killed millions of people or responsible for their death and they brutalized this or they've done this, they've done that. I, I can see, you know, kind of where that makes sense that, you know, this is kind of what awaits them. One of the hardest things for me is that's not the only folks that the Bible says is going to be there. Did you know that the Bible says there's going to be a lot of highly religious people in hell? Did you know that? <coughs> highly religious folks who did good things but not God's will. Here come the notes. Matthew 7. 
21 through 23. The Bible says that there are going to be zealous, devout, and committed religious people, friends and family members, who chose to reject the knowledge of God and come up with their own religion instead. Romans 10, verses 1 through 3. Not wanting or knowing the righteousness of God, they sought to create their own. And folks, you can't be righteous enough to go to heaven on your own. You need Jesus to cleanse your sins. The Bible also shows us that there will be in hell religious leaders who have rejected God's will for themselves by refusing to repent and be baptized. Luke 7 and verse 30, as well as 2 Peter 3, 9. And we say, okay, I can understand that sort of, kind of. It's hard, but maybe. Did you know? The Bible also says that there are going to be members of the Lord's church who don't go to heaven. You know the Bible says that? Members of the Lord's church in the kingdom of God who don't go to heaven. Turn to me in your Bibles to Matthew 13. Don't take my word for it if I can't back it. Matthew 13, would you turn there? After Jesus is asked to explain the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 36, he goes on to apply that parable first to the world in verses 37 through 40, and he makes it very clear in verses 37 through 40 he's talking about the world. And then he takes it up a notch. Then he narrows down this parable of the wheat and the tares. I think I said the parable of the sower. No. The parable of the wheat and the tares, he narrows down its application and applies it just to the kingdom. Watch this, Matthew 13. Look with me at verse 41. After he talks about how this, this parable relates to the world in verses 37 through 40, look what he says in verse 41. The Son of Man will send out his angels very similar fashion, and they will gather out of his kingdom. Is the kingdom the church? Kingdom is not talking about the world. Jesus has just changed gears here. It says, the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. Then will cast them into the furnace of fire and they'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus said, you better get this. That is scary stuff. And that includes those in the church who never have truly repented of some of the sins that we have talked about. That includes those in the church who refuse to study and learn and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord in such places as 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3, 2 Peter 1, 2 through 11. It involves those who refuse for in the church, those who refuse to serve and participate and produce fruit, John 15, verses 1 through 8, tells us very clearly that we must produce fruit. This would include those in the church 
who only want to remain lukewarm in their commitment and appreciation to God for what he has done to provide them with an escape from that horrible place. Those who want to remain only lukewarm. Do you remember Revelation 3, 15 and 16? It says, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I just wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. She said, I'm going to puke you out. Make up your mind. Cold or hot. Those from the church who will wind up in hell are those who came to Christ also, and then they turn back, forsaking the assembly of the saints. And I'm not talking about missing once in a while because you can't be here. I'm talking about they don't want nothing else to do with the assembly. And they have given up the assembly and assembling with the saints for another foray back into the pollutions of this world when it comes to sin. Hebrews 10, 19 through 31, and 2 Peter 2. 20 through 22. And I'll tell you another one. From the Lord's church. Was going to that awful place. And that's gospel preachers. Who are willing to compromise the truth. Who are willing to edit the message. Who are willing to sell out, water down, or edit, or pervert the sacred gospel message just in order to please people and fill the pews and the plates. Gospel preachers that do that, got a surprise coming on the day of judgment. Paul says, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. Let him be eternally condemned. Let him be maranatha. That first century gospel, there's a gospel preacher today that doesn't want to preach the whole thing or perverts or twists or edits it. What God said, even when it's unpopular, even when folks don't want to hear it, he's not ready in season or out. He's got a surprise coming on Judgment Day. I would rather be punished for obeying God than for pleasing people. I mean no disrespect to anybody and I love you guys to pieces. My first Allegiance is to God, as is yours. Some people today have chosen to completely deceive themselves and say that there is no such thing as hell. They have chosen to, it's just easier to deal with if there is no such place, and so they've deluded themselves into believing that there is no such thing as an absolutely real hell. There is no such place with that kind of horror. Other people will say, you know what? God is love, and so a God of love couldn't do such horrible things. To be I got news for you. God ain't the one doing it. God's done everything in his power to see that we go to heaven and escape that place. When people are judged on judgment day, and they have chosen not to listen to God, not to love God, not to trust God, not to obey God, not to take God's hand to get them out of that place, what else is he supposed to do? What's he supposed to do? If they don't want to be with God and God's people, what's God supposed to do? Force them? He's not going to do that. This life is where we make that choice. God loves everyone. God so loved the world. The worst, the baddest, the meanest, the most brutal, the most, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son.
Jesus died for everyone, and it is God's will, according to 1 Timothy 2.4 and 2 Peter 3.9, that nobody perishes. God doesn't want anybody going to that place. That's why he sent his son to this place to save us from that place. But in order for that to happen, the Bible says that a person must do a couple of things. Number one, they've got to come to the knowledge of the truth. They've got to come to know this plan that God has. And they've got to be willing to repent and obey what the word says. If you don't take anything else home from this lesson, take this next sentence home. God's love alone will never, big capital letters underline, embolden the word never. God's love alone will never take anybody to heaven against their will or without their desire to go there. Does that make sense? God ain't going to force anybody into heaven. This life is where we choose. And if God's coming in the flesh and informing us clearly about how awful hell is, and then exhibiting his great love by dying for those sins we've committed that's supposed to take us there, if that isn't enough, that God himself was willing to go through the torturous stuff that he went through in the flesh, if that is not enough to make a person honestly, willfully, and completely humble themselves and say, God, anything you want, I am yours. I cannot, what an awesome love. And, and I don't want to go there. And thank you for providing Jesus. That's why we come here every Sunday, isn't it? remember the sacrifice to save me from that place. And if that is not enough to make somebody humble themselves and turn away from their sins and show their desire to be with him by being obedient to his lordship, then God ain't going to force them. God is not going to force them to be where they have proven they have no desire to be, and that is with him and his children in heaven for eternity, because when a person says, I don't want to be with God and his people here, they're saying, I don't want to be with God and his people there. We only have one option. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You've got to go through Jesus, like going through a tunnel. You've got to go through Jesus, and the only way to go through Jesus is to get into Jesus. And the only way that you get into Christ, Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 7, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, the only two places you see into Christ in the Bible is a phrase, we are baptized into Christ. You must get into Christ in order to go through Christ, and you can only get to God the Father by going through Christ. He is the only option, and in this life, we make our choice. And God, in his great love, in his unimaginable love, no matter how much it hurts him, is going to honor the choice we make. God is going to honor the choice we make, no matter how much it breaks his heart, if we've made the wrong one. But it's our choice. Our entire reason for existence and the whole purpose of this earthly life is simply to make that choice. And then to make sure that we let everybody else know that we possibly can, that they need to make that same choice and what's at stake. Hell is a very real and scary place, but there is an escape. And that escape is right into the loving arms of the Lord God Almighty himself.
But as we know, that offer is not always going to be there because someday we're going to die. Jesus said, if you don't believe that I am he, you're going to die in your sins. If the time comes, if, if, if God forbid, but if one of us is in an accident or something tonight on the way home and, and we're not in Christ, then our opportunity to flee to the love of God and escape that place is gone. That offer is not always going to be available. So I beg you tonight, if you're in this room and you have never accepted the escape route out of that horrible place, never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, not because I say it, not because somebody here says it, not because some family member or friend says it, none of that stuff. But if you've never done that, because God says you've got to do that, he said, here it is. What did, what did Peter say in Acts 2 and verse 38? He said, let each of you repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's where his forgiveness is located. If I put a $100 bill on this table and I say to you, here's where it's located, come and get it, the gift is still free, you just gotta come and get it where I put it. God put his forgiveness in, in the tank of baptism. Will you trust me and love me enough to simply obey the gospel, be buried with him in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins and receive that gift? I know it's late, but I wanna close with this because I think it's that important. It's an old article, I'll read it quickly. It's called The Benefits of Hell. Then we'll have the invitation. Some say that if you look closely, you can find good in everything. If there is some good in everything, there must be some good in hell. People hate things in life, and some of these despised things will not be in hell. This should ease their minds a little while they're waiting. It will not help them in hell, though, since there is no peace of mind where their worm does not die. Few of the things that there will not be in hell. In hell, there will be no more preaching. In hell, there will be no long, irritating sermons. Gospel preachers make hell-bound people nervous. Every time they come to church, he seems to be preaching right at them. Preachers are to reprove, rebuke, and exhort 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, but all of that will end in hell. No doubt there will be plenty of preachers in hell, but they'll not be preaching. Residents there will be rid of faithful preachers for all eternity. Number two, there'll be no more church workers in hell. There'll be no more church workers there. You know, those people who bothered you with cards and letters and phone calls and visits. They have plagued the world since the first century when they went everywhere bothering people, Acts 8 and verse 4. You told them you would not attend and become a Christian someday, and that should have been enough, but oh no, these irritating church workers kept coming. Well, you'll not have to get up and out of your seat and open the door for them anymore in hell because they won't be there. Number three, there will be no interference with your lifestyle in hell. There'll be no one there to tell you how to live your life, no one to tell you about sin, no more calls to holiness by those do-gooders who thought they were better than you. You were just as good as those hypocrites. So you might notice there's a few of those down there with you. And number four and finally, in hell there will be no more invitations. There will be no more invitations to obey the gospel and get your life right with God. Remember how you hated those invitations? Talk about pressure. It was hard, but you resisted every one of them. There were family appeals, especially from your spouse. Your faithful spouse never gave up. He or she even prayed for you at the church building, but you didn't yield even for a moment. 
and now you will never forget it. However, if you have the slightest doubt that you want these benefits, you may need to make some changes right now. What exactly is your soul worth to you? Pains me to preach lessons like this. But I believe the Bible's clear that there's more pain waiting for me if I don't occasionally. It may pain you to hear lessons like this, but it's possible that if you never hear a lesson like this, it can be more painful later. <coughs> Obeying the gospel's easy. Would you be baptized tonight for the forgiveness of your sins? Would you take that hand of God tonight now? As we stand and sing, or you've already done that, and you need the prayers of the church to make sure you're on that straight and narrow. You need strength to stay there because the one thing you do not want to do is fall off of that escape route. If you have a need tonight, will you please come to the front as we stand and sing?